Welcome back, everybody. I'm Olivia, and this is Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, the podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. At this point in time, I don't really have any new updates quite yet for the podcast, so we're just going to get right on into it. So today we have the tale of an adventure for all of you, the journey of the stellar sea eagle that found its way all the way from Russia to northeast North America. It's been hanging out over here for quite some time now, and they do often show up in western Alaska from time to time since it is pretty close to Russia, but this is the first time that one of these large eagles has made its way to this end of the continent, and that's one of the many reasons this particular event and having the bird over here is so spectacular. So what I have for you today, we're going to start off just talking about the stellar sea eagle, where they come from, some of their natural history. And then we will dive on in to the journey that the eagle affectionately referred to as Stella has undertaken. So the stellar sea eagle actually has a few common names that it can be known by. It has the stellar fish eagle, Pacific sea eagle, and the white-shouldered eagle. But the stellar sea eagle is its super duper official name and that's been deemed the official name by the International Ornithologist Union. So that's probably the primary name that it goes by and anybody that refers to it as that is going to know what you're talking about. It's actually super closely related to bald eagles that we have here throughout uh, North America, the United States and Canada, as well as the white-tailed eagles and those are seen more around the sea eagle's normal habitat range. The Steller Sea Eagle was named after George Wilhelm Steller. He was a German naturalist who was pretty well known from the early to mid 1700s. He did a lot of exploration around Russia and Alaska and was one of the first people to um, conduct a lot of natural history studies around Alaska. So he discovered quite a few different animals, at least for European and Western science. So he is also credited with discovering the stellar sea cow, again, at least for European science, and unfortunately the stellar sea cow is now extinct. It didn't fare too well with um, being found out by um, European science, as a lot of things did not, but um, that's now extinct, and that may be a thing that we'll talk about another episode. But um, one of the critters that he has been credited with discovering that is still alive is the stellar's jay. And the Stellar's Jay lives throughout Western North America, from Alaska uh, through Canada, down through uh, California, down really down to the Mexican border. And he was the first European to record that bird as well. So there are a couple of features that make the Stellar Sea Eagle easily distinguishable from other eagles. One is the white shoulders that are a stark contrast from the otherwise brown to black feathered body. And the other is the very large orangish beak. And really, when you look at it, other than the orange shoulders, the, the main feature you notice is the, is the beak. Like, it is very uh, noticeably different from our bald eagle beaks. And of course, the other thing that makes it easily distinguishable and quite the sight to behold is its size. So from beak tip to tail tip, they range from 85 centimeters to 105 centimeters. So in... Um, America units, that's just under three feet tall to about three and a half feet tall, with the females being generally larger than the males on average. 
Females average at that higher end of the range around 100 centimeters and the males around 89. So that would make the average female sea eagle about the same height as your average four-year-old kid, but at the largest it would be about a five-year-old kid. If we look at our wingspan, however, that can get as long as two and a half meters or eight feet from wingtip to wingtip, with some unofficial reports measuring them as long as nine feet. So that probably means that somebody saw a really large bird, the scale was hard to tell, and they were like, man, that has to be like a nine-foot wingspan. And some scientist went out there and was like, mm, ah. And so we do have reports of a nine-foot wingspan stellar sea eagle out there, but uh, no official measurements. So to visualize that, um, a lot of people are familiar with Christmas trees. So at least according to measuringstuff.com, a pretty common height for artificial trees is between seven and eight feet tall. So wingspan about as tall as a Christmas tree. For another comparison, California sea lions are also eight feet long. So the wingtips of a stellar sea eagle would be able to touch the tip of the nose and the tip of the tail of a sea lion. These measurements make the stellar sea eagle one of the largest eagles in the world, if not the largest. Its main competitors are the harpy eagle and the Philippine eagle, and it honestly really just depends on which measurements you're looking at as to which eagle is the biggest. So the harpy eagle, weight-wise, the two birds are pretty similar, but the harpies can get up to 3.6 feet tall, which is just a little tad bit taller than the tallest sea eagles. Wingspan, though, is comparable, but smaller at 6 to 7.5 feet. The Philippine eagles are both a bit shorter on average than the sea eagles and have a bit of a shorter wingspan, um, kind of capping out at 7.2 feet, but the Philippine eagles are heavier. The stellar sea eagles get to about 7.7 uh, .7 kilograms, which is right about 17 pounds, and the Philippine eagle can reach up to nearly 18 pounds. So really, if we're trying to award an eagle the largest eagle of the world, it just depends on which member, which measurements you look at, and any of these eagles could have it. So now, where does this bird come from? So it is normally migratory by nature, so it does have a, or they can have a fairly large home range, but it is native to coastal Northeast Asia. During the breeding season, they often congregate in coastal areas and large rivers of Russia, with the Kamchatka Peninsula in eastern Russia having the largest population of breeding eagles. When they're nesting along the coast, they tend to build nests on rocky outcroppings and the tops of large trees, and trees they particularly target along the large rivers, so places like the Amur River. As a fun fact, they do have a preference for trees and forests to nest in when they're nesting in trees along rivers. They really like ermine's birches, as well as forests that are mostly composed of larches, alders, willows, and poplars. I didn't see an explanation for this, so I'm sure somebody knows, but this might be because these uh, particular types of forests correlate with their favorite food sources, or these trees are just particularly good at supporting their large nests. Outside of breeding season, they will move south, and the southern movement is more triggered by growing sea ice and food availability more than it is the shortening daylight. As they move south, they'll move to Korea, China, and Japan, 
particularly Hokkaido Island, which is one of the islands at the northern end of the archipelago. Occasionally, there are some vagrants that move a little farther south, all the way down to Taiwan. And again, given that their northern range in Russia is pretty close to Alaska, sightings in western Alaska are not uncommon. However, when one individual showed up one August day just north of Anchorage, Alaska, um, a little farther inland than they're typically seen, this really started off a bird on quite the journey. So the Audubon Society did a really great job of gathering and collating all of the sightings of the stellar sea eagle that's been traveling throughout North America. So the rest of this uh, timeline information largely comes from there. And they documented each of the sightings throughout, um, throughout the U.S. and a little bit into Canada from um, each of the sightings from when it disappeared and then reappeared and where it was and how many people saw it and some different notes along there. So I'll link the two sites documenting its journey from the sightings from 2021 to 22 and then from this year. So then you can look through it all yourself. And there's also a really fun interactive map that I don't remember if I saved the site to, but I do think it's linked in both of the Audubon sites. So you'll be able to find that there. So starting off on the Sea Eagles journey, August 30th, 2020 was the first day that our stellar sea eagle, Stella, that is now hanging out in Maine, or elsewhere by now, was spotted. It was seen a bit north of Anchorage, Alaska, along the Denali Highway. Now, as I said, the stellar sea eagles do appear along coastal Alaska occasionally, but what made this spot unusual is that it was much farther inland than they typically see the sea eagles. And then, after a period of time, it did disappear but after a while, it did reappear again in March in 2021, strangely all the way down in Texas along the Colito Creek Reservoir. And nobody really knows why Texas, that's going to be much farther south than it, they would even typically travel in their normal ranges and generally much warmer. How, um, however, there was a winter storm that had moved through the area a few weeks before the sighting, so it may have just been following that winter storm. After being seen in Texas, it disappeared again for a few months, but it flew quite a ways, and at the end of June in 2021, it was spotted in the Gaspé Peninsula in Quebec and New Brunswick in Canada. It was spotted at first by a First Nation ranger, and it hung out um, on the peninsula for quite some time, bouncing around through July and early August. And it was actually not until this point that it was confirmed that all of these sightings were the same sea eagle. Um, in each of those points, there were plenty of photographs to document the journey. And researchers were able to look at them. And apparently, the border between the white feathers and brown feathers on the upper wings are pretty distinctive between individuals. And the way the border is can allow the eagles to be distinguished from each other with fairly careful observation and comparison. So when photographs were compared, we were able to tell that the border has the same markings and feather arrangements as the bird seen in Alaska and Texas. So at this point, the bird had flown about 3,300 miles from Alaska to Texas, and then another 2,200 miles from Texas to New Brunswick and Quebec. 
for a sea eagle migrating from its normal breeding grounds to its wintering sites in northern Japan, that would only be flying about 1,200 miles. So this eagle has already flown quite a bit farther than it would in its normal migration time. So this is very adventuring sea eagle. Next, in November 2021, it was spotted again after it had disappeared from Canada, and it was spotted along the, or it had disappeared from New Brunswick, and in November 2021, it was spotted along the Avon River in Nova Scotia, still in Canada, for a couple of days before it took flight again, or it took flight again, and was then spotted for a couple of weeks from December 12th to December 20th. Um, back in the United States along the Taunton River in Massachusetts. So at this point, enough excitement had been boiling about the bird for uh, hundreds of people to be gathered to have just the chance to see the sea eagle. And that's also what we witnessed in Maine. And it's really, we're getting to that next, but it's been really uh, just quite, quite the thing. So after it had appeared and disappeared in Massachusetts, Next began its journey in Maine, and it showed up for the first time in Midcoast, Maine, December 30th in 2021, around five islands near the Sheepscot River, and this is kind of around Georgetown, where it's been seen now, just in a slightly different location. For several weeks, it bounced around different islands in the area, but then at the beginning of January 2022, it started to appear around West Booth Bay Harbor. This is around... Um, when, or this is about when the Maine State Aquarium was a great vantage point to see the eagle, and honestly, it was really wild, just the number of people that were there. The aquarium is part of the Department of Marine Resources, so the aquarium is closed, and I don't work with that group. It should be opening next year for anybody interested, or this year for anyone interested this upcoming season. I don't work for the aquarium, but I do work with, for one of the other groups in the department at this point in time. So, at, while the sea eagle was visible around Booth Bay, on the days that I went into the lab for those first couple weeks in January, there were so many people just crawling around. You'd get there and the parking lot was full, the uh, street was parked up, you'd have people camped out along any of the areas. Well, I mean, the whole area is just right on a peninsula. So, you'd have people in uh, front of the building, behind the buildings, on the docks, just trying to see the eagle. And other people that had worked at the worked in the department longer than I had said that even when the aquarium was open, there have never been so many people there at one time. So that's pretty crazy. And honestly, we do still talk about it sometimes and just how many people were here. So uh, and talking to some of the maintenance staff in DMR, there were stories of some pretty incredible spots where the sea eagle landed in some of the trees right near them, or they'd just be seeing it flying directly overhead. So they probably got a better look at the eagle than most of the people here to see the eagle got. And um, when I got to see it, um, a couple of my lab mates, we really tried to keep an eye out for it and watch for ex excitement in the birders, but we were in the lab having to identify worms. So um, it was one of those times that the eagle flew over that someone popped their heads into the lab to be like, hey, it literally just flew over, like come out right now and you, you'll still be able to see it. So we rushed outside uh, so quickly that one of us didn't grab our jacket. I think one or two of us forgot our badge, so only one of us could let us back in the building. 
I think I forgot my glasses inside almost. <laughs> uh, we really just didn't want to miss the opportunity, so we were moving pretty quick. Uh, so we did get to see it, and it was hanging out in a tree just on the outside of the harbor. So we weren't able to get a super close-up view, but even with the distance, it was a big enough bird that you could see the distant and large black dot in the treetops. And plenty of people had scopes set up, and they very kindly let us look through their scopes. And really, the first thing you do notice is just how big it is. And for a period of time, when I would see bald eagles flying around afterwards, I was surprised at how much smaller they looked. The bald eagles have about a six-foot wingspan and are kind of in that 10-pound range. So they are noticeably smaller than the stellar sea eagles. And uh, this year, some people got some really great photos of the stellar sea eagle alongside some bald eagles. So you can see that size comparison. I'll make sure to have some of those uploaded to our social medias so you can see the size difference. Now, looking back at my pictures, that was January 13th, 2022, that I was able to see the eagle. And that turned out to be pretty lucky timing. Um, a few days after that point, it started hopping around a bit more at the end of January, going back to some of the islands, some of the edges of Booth Bay. And at the beginning of January, it started to be seen a couple of times between Erisic and Georgetown, actually from the bridge that it's been spotted from this year. And then by the end of February, it had disappeared again for a couple of months until it appeared on April 1st of all days back in Nova Scotia. And that's where it stayed for a while. And since the Audubon Society is an American organization and it appeared the eagle was going to be staying there for quite some time, they didn't keep the blog updated with all of the Nova Scotia sightings, but from what I heard from the Facebook page for a while, um, where it was hanging out, it was some nice marshy, marshy nature reserve that plenty of other bald eagles like to hang out in as well, and it was staying there for quite some time. And overall, it seemed to be a pattern. Many of the places that our Stella, or that Stella, our sea eagle friend, liked to hang out were areas that bald eagles like to hang out as well. And some of this is going to be similarity in habitats. Bald eagles really also like those rocky coasts, large rivers, and fairly, um, there's also a pretty good overlap in food. Both are opportunistic feeders and scavengers with a preference for fish, but the stellar sea eagle can take some larger prey as well. Stellar sea eagle will also go after a variety of water birds, including ducks and auks, like the thick-billed mirrors and the crested auklets that it'll find in its native range. And some more land-based eagles have been known to even go after owls, like the short-eared owl and snowy owls. The stellar sea eagles are also known to be a little on the aggressive side, so they have been observed even going after geese and swans. And I think I remember seeing somebody... Um, in the Facebook page say that they did actually see our Stella Sea Eagle um, eaten on a goose. I don't think they saw it take down the goose, but they uh, did see the results of that goose hunt. Interestingly, they can have different prey ref preferences and bird preferences, and in some areas of their native habitat, they prefer slaty-backed gulls for whatever reason. It might just be because they are a common gull in the area. And in others, they seem to prefer the mirrors and the auklets. So, like I said, I think some of that just depends on which birds are common to the particular area. 
They have been known to go after the occasional mammal and invertebrate as well, so they'll even eat like crabs, worms, and squid if they get the opportunity. So they really do just eat what they can get. Bald eagles are a lot the same way. And for the mammals that they'll eat, they have been known to eat hares, American mink, even foxes, both arctic and red foxes, as well as domestic dogs. So after our little food break, let's get back to our friend's journey. So in 2023, our eagle friend waited all the way until February to show back up in Maine, and it was spotted from that Route 127 bridge between Arisic and Georgetown, Maine, hanging out around the Back River, and this has pretty much been where it stayed so far this time through its visit. It has also been seen a little bit farther down the peninsula on the Flying Point Preserve, And from most of the reports, it seems to have just gone back and forth as to which vantage point it's more visible from. One lucky person living in the area got a up-close-and-personal spot and had the eagle land in a tree on their property, so they were able to just look out the window and whoop, there it was. So this is another area where bald eagles frequent, and it has been seen with bald eagles several times. As I said, some people have been able to get pictures of them hanging out together particularly the juvenile bald eagles. Our sea eagle friend has been estimated to be kind of that three to five-year-old range, so this would put it right at the end of the juvenile stage for the sea eagle, which gives a chance that then it just likes to hang out with birds of a similar age group. But again, it's likely just a similar habitat situation, or it figures where the eagles nor to where good food is, so it's just going to follow them around since it's not exactly in its native home range. So at this moment in time, in terms of sightings, we are back to a bit of a limbo stage. It was last seen around February 14th, and there haven't been any confirmed sightings since then, so it's been a few weeks since anyone has seen it. At least officially, there have been the occasional report, but it's one of those things where at best the picture is blurry or it looks like another eagle, so it's one of those maybe it was, maybe it wasn't sort of situations. And, of course, there are plenty of people at this point keeping an eye out for it. And it's not unusual for it to disappear for weeks at a time, so we'll just have to see what happens next. There is a chance that it'll show back somewhere in, show back up somewhere in Maine. We have had a series of snowstorms in the last couple of weeks, so there is a good chance it's just hunkering down somewhere for the weather to pass as we witness second winter. Or it could be back on its way to Canada at this point. Only time will tell. One thing that was interesting that I did find during my research is that uh, some of the sources said that Midcoast Maine's weather is actually very similar to what the sea eagles would experience in Japan. So at this point, it might be just starting to follow what a normal migration cycle could be for a stellar sea eagle, uh, spending the summers in Canada and then coming back down to Maine for winter for a while. Um, If the sea ice or the food sources in Canada just aren't what it needs, Now, I didn't see anywhere comparing the weather of northeast Russia in summer to eastern Canada in summer, so I'm not sure where that comparison is, but at least it does seem to be experiencing familiar enough weather and similar enough habitats that it should at least feel at home. Now, since this stellar sea eagle is quite a ways from its native habitat, a common worry among some of the people that have been able to see it is what will become of it if it'll be a loner its whole life, if it'll maybe eventually breed with some of the local bald eagles, if it'll continue to survive in the area. 
but really at this point, only time will tell. It has survived one winter here and is going on its second winter. And as I just said, the habitat and the weather is similar enough to its home habitat that I think it's safe to say it'll be able to survive here just fine for the long term. And maybe now it'll just be a regular occurrence to the area. There have been other obscure vagrants in Maine. Apparently for about 16 years, there was a red-billed tropic bird that spent its summers in Maine. And uh, we were offshore pretty good last year in the area it's been seen, and I didn't notice any reports from it. So I'm not sure if it was still there this year. But we did have the red-billed tropic bird in the area for some time. And normally, as the name suggests, it stays within the tropics and looks like more South Atlantic, so this was quite the vagrant. So these, this does happen, so maybe this will just be a new one coming to the area. And then as far as whether or not it'll be lonely or breeding with the bald eagles, we'll just have to see what happens. It does seem to be hanging out with them already, so I don't think we have to worry about it being particularly lonely, but that's also a pretty big anthropomorphism. As far as we know, eagles don't particularly get, like, lonely. They can live on their own just fine. Um, and without having other stellar sea eagles around, there is a chance that it'll never really have the instincts kick in to do things like want a family or go into breeding rituals like nest building or any of those sorts of rituals. And it is also unlikely that it would breed with the bald eagles, but it, interestingly, it wouldn't be super unheard of for that to happen. And since stellar sea eagles and bald eagles are super duper closely related, it is actually a possibility for them to have offspring. And there is even some precedence for this. Back in 2004, there were reports of an unusual looking eagle around Vancouver Island in British Columbia. And it didn't quite look like the bald eagles, but it also didn't really quite look like the stellar sea eagles that they sometimes see in the area either. It was larger than the bald eagles. It had the large beak that's characteristic of the stellars, but it also had a uniformly gray tail, which would be more similar to that of bald eagles. And after looking at photos and the individuals and studying the characteristics, researchers were actually able to conclude that it was likely a hybrid between the bald eagle and the stellar sea eagle. And at that point in time, there was a known bald eagle, stellar's eagle pair that lived near Juneau, Alaska, and they had been together for about 10 years. So it could have actually been a successful offspring from that pair. And for what this could mean for our friend Stella, they don't hit breeding range until about six. So only time will tell. We'll just have to keep on keeping an eye out for our friend and just see what these next couple of years have in store for it. Now, there have been many people that haven't been able to make the journey to Maine to see the eagle, or they did and they didn't see it. So you might be wondering if there's anywhere you can go to see it in captivity. Lo and behold, you can. Of course, keeping such a migratory and large animal in captivity can be controversial and zoos in general can be controversial. I personally take it on a case-by-case -case basis, like some zoos are fine and do great conservation and education work and others are terrible and should be closed down. They just neglect their animals. But this is here just to say where you can see it, we can have a captivity concert conversation another time. Uh, currently, there are six zoos that have the stellar sea eagle, the Franklin Park Zoo near Boston, Massachusetts, 
the Rosamond Gifford Zoo in Syracuse, New York, and then the San Diego Zoo and the LA Zoo in California, and then the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens, and the Denver Zoo. At least six of these zoos do participate in a captive breeding program and conservation program for the stellar sea eagle, and the goal there is to have a healthy captive population of the sea eagle for a couple of reasons. Um, one, to have a healthy, uh, genetically healthy captive-born eagles for other zoos. So if they do need to display them other places, they don't have to do any sort of wild capture. And there is also the potential for them to be used to boost wild populations. The stellar sea eagle populations are declining in the wild and are considered to be vulnerable. And um, current recent assessments just in 2021 gave somewhere in the 3,600 to 4,600 individuals in the wild, which is down from 5,000 given in previous assessments. So there is a very real chance of needing to use some of the captive breeding programs to help bolster the wild populations. And there is some uh, precedence for captive breeding programs for birds in being successful. Um, the California condor is a prime example of that. They had been brought down to near extinction and so what they did, they brought all of the wild birds into captivity and started a captive breeding program and started releasing them. And it's one of those things where the wild populations still aren't uh, nowhere near what they used to be as far as we know, but there is a healthy population of Calif California condors again existing within its native habitat. So it's considered a successful program. And that was meant to be a concluding paragraph, and then I went on for a little bit. So now we're going to attempt a second conclusion. They've never been my forte. Um, so as I said, the species is declining in the wild with recent assessments um, below the 5,000 given in previous years. So except for our friend here, uh, we don't really live in the normal habitat for the bird. So what can we do for it? Uh, the bird is protected in its home countries, and the habitats that it uses are also protected land. So, that is a nice big step there, but it does still face risks from things like overfishing, climate change, all that, you know, typical stuff. So, some things we can do if you also like to eat fish, make sure the fish you're eating are um, comes from a sustainable fishery. The Monterey Bay Aquarium does keep a pretty good list, even if they've come under fire a little bit lately with the Maine lobster industry, but that's a story for another day. But there are some good resources out there for seeing if the fish that you're eating is stable or is sustainable. Some fish populations are more stable than others or are better regulated and all that good stuff. So ensuring the fish that you eat isn't contributing hardcore to the overfishing problem can be a really big help. You can also support the care of the stellar sea eagle in zoos if you like, and a lot of that goes towards feeding them, habitat upkeep, enrichment, and zoo-depending the breeding program, as well as research about wild sea eagles. And at the Cincinnati Zoo, you can also do a symbolic adoption of a stellar sea eagle, which is pretty fun. So, to wrap it up for real this time, be mindful of your fish, support good zoos if you like, and if you live in Maine or Atlanta, Canada, Keep your eyes peeled for the next spot of our local stellar sea eagle. Thank you for listening and hearing about our stellar sea eagle friend. 
I haven't settled on a topic for next time yet, but I'm thinking we'll be headed back to the ocean since we've been pretty land-based for several episodes now. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with your friends. They can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. You can subscribe so you'll be notified of future episodes, as well as leave a review. Those are all really great ways to support this podcast and help new people find us. And if you're on Facebook or Instagram, be sure to give us a follow at Quirky Creepy Freaky Pod or Quirky Creepy and Freaky on Facebook and Quirky Creepy Freaky Pod on Instagram. And there you'll be able to get all the pictures and updates on the podcast. And if you have a favorite uh, animal fact that you like and would like to hear on the podcast, send us an email at quirkycreepyfreakypod at gmail.com and it might just make it into an episode. Thanks to my sister, Kaylee Strait, for creating the theme music for the podcast. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.